Have you ever felt stuck, unable to live your hopes and beliefs for your life? We need to try to grow, but growth doesn't happen just through brute force. In this episode, we will explore how healing the roots of our struggles can change the fruit of our life. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I have been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I have discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. In this episode of Physically Spiritual, we'll be bringing our series on healing to a close. To review where we've come from, in the first four episodes, we went through some foundational ideas, orienting ourselves to a Catholic worldview, talking about the body and soul, talking about faith and reason, and also talking about how we can integrate ideas from creation and biology and evolution uh, with our Catholic worldview. So then we went on to a healing series. In the last four episodes, we've been talking about healing in light of these ideas. Before we jump into the content today, I want to remind you about the show notes. We're doing the best we can to give you uh, the top quality notes, including all the quotes and references and uh, deeper information about all the topics we discuss in the show. And Physically Spiritual is made possible by Awakened Catholic. If you want to support the show or support Awakened Catholic, become a member of the Awakened Nation. Just go to awakencatholic.org. So before we start talking about this idea of the root and the fruit, this, this image of a tree uh, being uh, the, the fruit of our life, we need to talk a little bit about the will. Because when we're stuck, when we're not able to do what we want to do, uh, it's because we're not able to choose the right thing. And a lot of times, I think people think they're stuck because they misunderstand what the will actually is. Uh, we can get an idea that to have free will means that our mind kind of works like a computer that it's cold and calculating, that we're making a judgment detached from outside influences. And when we talk about free will as Catholics and as Christians, we don't necessarily mean this kind of choosing. Um, Sometimes we might make a choice like this, where we step back and look at the options and study and make a, a, a rational decision that way. But a lot of times we're kind of on autopilot. Day to day, I would propose that probably over 90% of our decisions are acts of habit. We're creatures of habit. So this idea of the will, that the will is formed by habits, it's formed by our previous behavior, is founded on the idea that the will is the rational appetite. This idea that the will is the rational appetite comes to us from Aristotle's philosophy and this thought of St. Thomas Aquinas. So it's an appetite because it's drawn, it's attracted. Ultimately, we choose what we choose because we want that. Uh, we're, we're passionate about it. But it's also rational, meaning it's not just directed by our instincts, but uh, it's directed by our thought too. It's directed by our, our power of reason. The foundation of every choice is that we want to be happy. Everything we do, we do because we think it's going to make us happy. So from an ethical perspective or a moral perspective, this means that we're seeking the good. We do things because we think they're best. Uh, And even if we're doing something that's bad, it's because we're mistaken about it. We think that it's actually good. Um, 
but it's it's a misperception of what's actually good. Even if we think we're doing evil for evil's sake, it's because we think evil is good for some reason. Uh, so we're really choosing what we perceive to be the good, what we think is going to make us happy. So this has to be the foundation of how we understand our will, that we're drawn to the good, that we're drawn to happiness. So how do we make these choices? What's actually happening in our person? Well, first we have to understand our senses, that everything we know is something that we've experienced. All of my knowledge and my understanding starts with my senses. I have a sense of sight, smell, touch, taste, feeling. Uh, All of these senses uh, give me information. And then I also have uh, what we might call internal senses. These are, are like our senses on the outside, but they're happening in our mind. They're not based on outside realities. So the internal senses are things like memories. We're recalling previous perceptions and also our imagination, our ability to take what we've experienced before and, and manipulate it and, and create new ideas. For example, like a unicorn, we take the idea of a horn and the idea of a horse and we put it together in our imagination to make the unicorn. And then we have another internal sense of, of judgment. Right? We, we make uh, uh, value judgments about the things around us. And, and this enters into our perception, our judgments about things. And then finally, we have a common sense. And this common sense isn't what we normally talk about when we say common sense as being like the obvious choice or the thing that, that anyone should think of. But this common sense is the sense that knits it all together, that combines all of our external senses and combines uh, the input from our internal senses, imagination, memory, judgment, into one solitary experience. Right? So when I'm experiencing the world, I'm not experiencing sight over here and, and sound over here and then my memories over there, but I'm just experiencing one integrated stream of consciousness, one uh, experience of the world that I think is reality. Uh, but it's actually coming from all these various inputs that are being knit together by my common sense. So in all of these experiences, I have passions toward what I experience or feelings toward what I experience, meaning everything either attracts me to it or I'm repulsed by it. I have this internal complex of, of leadings in my heart one way or the other. So when we're talking about an appetite, this is what we're talking about. I'm, I'm drawn to something because I think it's going to fulfill something in me or I'm pushed away from it because I don't think it's good for me. I don't want that. So these are all things that we actually have in common with animals, with, with any other animal in, in the world. They have this whole complex of external and internal senses, and they, they choose based on these attractions, what they're drawn to in their instincts. So different than the other uh, animals on the earth, as humans, we have additional faculties. We have the faculty of reason. So this means from our experiences, we can come to learn universal ideas, so I don't just understand that, uh, that there's a dog there, but I can actually understand dogness, right? The universal idea of dog, or, or I can learn uh, concepts of mathematics or uh, have the ability to, to know things um, that are beyond the physical world, right? So, so this ability to, to know things beyond our perception, to take those things of perception and, and draw them out into universal ideas, into truth, into wisdom, that's the capacity for reason. And in addition to this, I also have spiritual experiences. So God is influencing my life, angels are influencing my life, and demons are influencing my life. So I have these spiritual inputs 
And all of these different things that I'm experiencing from my, my external senses, my internal senses, from my, uh, my reason, my ability to know truth, and also from these, uh, these spiritual sources are all going into every one of my decisions. So when I'm, I'm finally selecting something, in, in the midst of all of these draws, this complex passion that's being knit together as a singular experience, I'm choosing what ultimately I think is going to be best for me, what the good is, what the truth is, what's going to make me happy. Um, but of course, we can misunderstand things. And in two episodes ago, we talked about what leads to our struggles, our human brokenness, uh, what uh, happened with the original sin, and then also what happens with sin in history. Um, so the free will is free not because uh, it's cold and calculating like a computer, but it's free because it has these additional inputs, these additional inputs from the reason and also from, from God. So every, everyone you know, everyone um, that you've ever experienced is free to some degree or another. <laughs> but actually, when we, when we lose sight of reason, when we uh, don't have clear thinking, um, we actually are less free because of that. Here's a quote from uh, St. Thomas Aquinas about how sin affects us as a person. Since the inclination to the good of virtue is diminished in each individual on account of actual sin, these four wounds are also the result of actual sin. Insofar as through sin, the reason is obscured, especially in practical matters, the will hardened to evil, Good actions become more difficult and concupiscence more impetuous. All right, so what does that mean? First, these four wounds due to sin are ignorance, malice, weakness, and concupiscence. Ignorance meaning our, our, our mind is darkened. Our ability to, to know these universal concepts is, uh, is less accurate because of sin. Right? It's only by by sometimes a lot of effort that we come to understand things. And even when we learn a lot about things, we can still be mistaken sometimes. We also experience malice, meaning that our will gets turned toward things that aren't truly good for us or toward things that are going to harm others. And then weakness. Even when I know the good sometimes as an intellectual concept, I'm still drawn toward other things. And so sometimes I don't do what I know is best for me in my mind because I'm overcome by these passions, these attractions to things in the world. And then finally, this concupiscence, meaning that, that in my sensing and in my passions, uh, there's this disorder in my attractions. So my passions aren't always reliable uh, guides to what's best for me, what's truly going to make me happy. So as a result of sin, all of these four wounds are exacerbated. All of these four wounds are increased in us. So uh, in a sense, the more we sin, the more rational we are. And since we're less rational in, in our individual choices, we, we always have the faculty of reason. It doesn't make us, that we don't lose that part of ourselves, but it obscures it, it darkens it. So since we're less rational, we're less capable of transcending those animal instincts. Right? So this, this turning toward what's evil is, is the logical consequence of this darkening of the mind. And because of this, then, our will is also weakened, right? So we're less capable of overcoming the passions that we find uh, are drawing us toward things that aren't really good for us. 
And then finally, these passions are also more and more disordered because we're creatures of habit. So whatever I'm choosing is informing my later choices. So we see how sin leads to this cascade of, uh, of making us less and less able to really choose the good, and less and less able of, uh, of really being happy in our life. So all of this uh, comes to a head when we consider a classic idea of virtue, that we're not just creatures of habit, but we're made for virtue. And this idea of virtue is that our whole person, body, soul, and, and mind is, uh, is ordered toward the good, ordered towards what makes us happy. Um, and, but when we get disordered, we're becoming vicious. And a vice isn't just a bad habit. A vice is actually an ordering of the whole person toward what is bad, toward what is going to ultimately lead to our destruction, toward what's harmful for us. Um, so in between these two extremes of vice and virtue, we could either be self-controlled, meaning I, I know what's good for me, um, I still experience attractions to what's lower, what's not going to make me happy, but I'm still able to do the good. Right? My, my will can overcome those passions. And on the other hand, I might be incontinent, meaning that I know the good, um, I'm still drawn to the bad, and my, but my will isn't strong enough to overcome those passions. Right? So, so I'm not able to overcome those leaning towards lower instincts. And then on the opposite extreme, vice in vice, you're so disordered that you mistaken the good for the bad and the bad for the good. So you actually think the evil thing is good for you. And so that's why you're drawn to it. And then on the opposite side, the virtuous person isn't just able to do the good. They're actually attracted to the good. Their passions have become ordered toward that good thing. So they, they know the good. They perceive the good. They're, they're passionate toward the good. They're attracted to the good. And then they choose the good. There's this harmony throughout their whole person toward what's truly going to make them happy. All right, now let's circle back to the original idea of why we get stuck. Ultimately, we're stuck because we're either in a place where we're vicious, right? We don't really understand the good, or we're incontinent. Even though we know the good, uh, our will isn't strong enough yet to to choose the right thing. Uh, So how does this play out in experience? How do we live this in our life? What are some examples we might have? Uh, one example could be when you're eating. So you're, you're choosing your food and you know what's healthy for you. And maybe you, you, you make a nice meal with some vegetables, some healthy protein uh, that you've cooked for yourself, and you, you start eating it. Uh, but then after you've, you've finished the food you've set out for yourself, you still experience this, this sort of... Uh, uh, restlessness in you, right? You want something more. You're not quite satisfied. Um, so then you go back to the refrigerator or the cabinet and you see maybe some potato chips or some dessert. Uh, and as you see that, you experience a passion toward it, right? You're drawn toward it. You might know in your mind, this isn't healthy for me. I should eat some more vegetables or, or a piece of fruit or something like that. But you have this draw toward it, this attraction toward it. And even though you, you know that it's not the best for you, you end up choosing it. Well, what's gone into that choice is that you've built a habit toward it. Um, And and that habit is also something physical. In the next episode, we're going to talk about the intelligence of the body, and we're going to start talking about uh, maybe different uh, elements of our body that you maybe didn't learn about in your high school science classes. And I think understanding the body can unlock some of the secrets of how to change our disposition to the world around us. 
Um, so this example of, of choosing food, we see how we experience the world with our passions, but also with the input of our reason. We have a passionate draw towards that. And at times when, uh, when our, our passion toward what we know to be true is stronger than the passion toward what's, uh, what's lower in our nature, what's drawing us to what's not good for us, we're able to be free. We're able to make that choice. Um, so from this perspective, we have three options of how we might change. Uh, the first option is simply to try harder, right? The next time I'm presented with the option of, of doing whatever I struggle with, we all struggle with different things. Um, I think this time I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to grip my teeth and I'm going to do it differently next time, right? Maybe I think because of accumulated consequences or because I've made a vow or a promise to someone, now I can come and sally my will and overcome it this next time, right? The other option is we might think we can change our environment, right? If, if I'm experiencing the world through these passions, then if I change what I'm experiencing, then I can change what I'm drawn to, right? I'm just going to remove the near occasion of sin. And by doing that, I'm going to have, uh, have uh, everything around me is going to be safe, right? They're going to be things that are good for me. There's also a third option of how to change, right? We could change our relationship to the things around us so that our passions toward them are different, right? This third option is what I would propose leads to virtue. Um, and, and these options aren't actually contradictory. I think uh, growing in, in virtue and away from vice, getting unstuck includes all three. We have to have uh, really be trying in the moment. We have to have this courageous effort to grow. And we also need to, to change our environment and be, be smart and realize we're not going to overcome a thousand temptations a day. But if we could just maybe face 10 a day, it's going to be a lot easier in those moments to overcome them. But then finally, what, what really changes us, what really makes us different is how we can change our relationship to the world around us, how we can uh, affect this whole complex of passions, the attractions and repulsions. Because no matter how much we try to control our environment, no matter how strong we think we are, we're always going to be to a point in our life that we can't control or that we're weak. Maybe a day where we haven't gotten enough sleep because our children wouldn't go to bed or where everything seems to be going wrong where in spite of our attempt to control our environment, maybe with food, somebody brings that box of donuts into work then, and, and you're exhausted, and you're already stressed out. Well, in the midst of that, you're going to be a lot more likely to eat that unhealthy food, right? Because you're, you're tired, so you're, you're weaker. You're, you're not experiencing the world clearly due to that, and you have all this stress in your body. Um, so this is just one example of how uh, just trying harder and just changing the environment might not be enough. Uh, but on the other hand, um, you do need to try harder, and you also need to change your environment, because by doing that, you're not constantly in the battle. You're not constantly having to, to overcome uh, one temptation after another. Um, so on the other hand, what, what you might do is, uh, for example, um, change your environment at home, get rid of all the food in your pantry that's not healthy for you, right? So when you look in that refrigerator and when you look in that pantry, um, now, none of the options are bad, so regardless of what your passions draw you to, it's going to be something healthy. But as you're doing that, as you're removing the near occasion of sin, you also have to work on this deeper complex of passions. What's drawing you to the unhealthy food? Right? Why, are you so, why are you so attracted to it? So part of that is going to be training your body 
to experience the healthy food as attractive, as good, as nourishing. And by doing that consistently, your body will change. There's a lot of ways your body will become ordered toward the healthier food, um, whether it just be what happens in your brain, how your brain changes through neuroplasticity, changes in, in your stomach. Your stomach is full of, of millions of microorganisms that actually affect your appetite, affect what you're attracted to through your nervous system. Uh, so, so this whole colony of microorganisms in your stomach are going to change and adapt to the food you're eating to. And also, um, you're just, like I said, a creature of habit. Right? So, so the more you're choosing the good, the more you're choosing what's healthy for you, the more you'll get ordered toward it in your whole person, from your perception, through your will, uh, through your understanding. Um, so by, by slowly working on your life and growing toward what's healthy for you, then even when you are weakened because of a lack of sleep or stress, when those donuts show up at work, you're going to be more ordered toward that healthy food. You're going to experience uh, a, an attraction to what's healthy for you that persists even through that new experience of the donuts. And, and that, that passion for those donuts can be muted. It's probably never going to go away. Um, because there might be a time when having a donut is okay, right? Maybe you've uh, dieted well for a month and, and you know, it's not going to set you off track. So you decide to have uh, a sweet treat with some friends in a celebration. Um, but it doesn't throw your whole life off. Right? So this is just one practical example of how we've become ordered toward the good. Um, and this might seem uh, pretty surface level with food, but I think we can, employ the same method uh, throughout our whole moral life, throughout our whole spiritual life, in, in everything uh, that we do for God. So let's now uh, revisit this idea of root cause, of root cause, this image of a tree. I was first introduced to this image of, of a tree uh, through the John Paul II Healing Institute. Um, Bob Schutz, the author of the book Be Healed, has combined the wisdom of John Paul II's Theology of the Body and his knowledge of, of psychology and healing from a mental health perspective, and integrated a system of, of healing the, the human person, um, both from a theological and a psychological perspective. And he uses this image of the tree, that at, what's at the roots of the tree are wounds, our character wounds, and lies. And these lies um, lead up the, up the trunk, ultimately to the, the fruit of the tree, the leaves of the tree, which are your behavior. So what he proposes is that like a disordered sexual behavior or a way that you feel compulsive in your life um, is ultimately because there's something at the roots and, and maybe in trauma and wounds that you've experienced and uh, false beliefs you have that then lead to those behaviors. Um, so healing the tree isn't just a matter of cutting off the branches, right? Just trying harder and avoiding the, the uh, near occasion of sin. Uh, while those can be important steps, it's a matter of changing the roots changing what's going into the choices, what's leading you to make those choices that the tree will heal. I've also been inspired by the Institute of Functional Medicine. A couple episodes ago, we talked about different styles of medicine uh, to use them as images of how God might heal us. And the functional medicine approach is a root cause approach, meaning they understand disease is actually uh, the, the fruit of the tree. It's what's on the leaves of the tree. So the disease that's in the organ systems of the body ultimately come from the roots, and our roots are the experiences of the world around us, meaning the choices we've made that have changed our body, uh, the things we've experienced, whether it be maybe environmental things like toxins or, or molds that have damaged our body, 
also things that have come to us in relationship, the way other, other people have harmed us, uh, fallen short, caused trauma in our life. And then um, with it too is, is uh, a lot of things that we maybe don't, uh, don't perceive like this gut microbiome, this collection or colony of microorganisms in our di- digestive system. So all of these things are at the roots of the tree. And what's at the trunk of the tree, what leads up to that fruit, is um, the way that our, our genotype, meaning our, our specific um, set of code that um, is the foundation of our biology, our DNA, how that experiences the, these environmental things and then expresses our phenotype. Right? So we have this, this coding in each one of our cells, um, and our experience of the world interacts with that in a unique way. And then from that, the core processes in the body all express. So things that you might experience like energy, your ability to digest, um, your ability to get rid of waste, um, your ability to, to think. So all of these come out of this experience of the world and then ultimately express on, on the leaves of the tree. Uh, discussing the, the tree image without a picture can be difficult. Uh, so in our show notes... Um, I have a link to an article on my website, becominggift.com, where you can see these trees, the functional medicine tree, and also the tree of healing from the John Paul II Healing Institute. And then I'm also going to uh, now talk about a third tree. This tree, I've, I've combined the ideas of both. Um, so what's, what's coming at us, uh, what's causing our behavior at root, is uh, the different ways we've been wounded in our life. But this includes physical things, psychological things, and spiritual things. So our, our upbringing comes into it, right, with the experiences we've had through our childhood, um, trauma from our life, ways that we've um, felt unsafe and been stuck there and been hurt by those things. Also, our current behavior, right, our diet and our sleep, exercise, our, the, the, our ability to rest, uh, that's at the, the roots. And also our spiritual experiences, right, our experiences of God or, or maybe our experiences of negative spiritual things in our life. All of this comes into the trunk. I believe we're all in the image and likeness of God. In, in our previous episode, we talked some about God's design and that we're all made in God's image and likeness. And we're made in God's image and likeness because we're rational, because we have a free will and we're made for communion. But we're, we're all also a unique or individual expression of God. So in the way that my rationality expresses itself is, is actually probably really different than the way that rationality expresses itself in your life right? I'm doing this, right? I can uh, learn different concepts and, and synthesize ideas from different disciplines and then hopefully present them in a way that you can understand what I'm trying to say, right? So my rationality is expressing itself this way, but there's other people who are, are gifted in completely different ways where I would be completely incompetent, um, whether you're expressing yourself in music or poetry, maybe you're, uh, you're expressing yourself in design and engineering, but we all have uh, a way that we're expressing God's uniqueness, um, some part of God's beauty, his goodness, in, in a facet that's unique just to us. Right? None of us completely captures and completely exhausts God's goodness in the way we express him in our image. So each of us has our own sort of little facet, our own lane, that no one else is exactly like us, that, that we express the image of God in a unique way to the world around us. So this individual image of God that we are to the world experiences all of this collection of, of damage, of wounds, of trauma, um, of behaviors that are harmful for us. 
And then what, what comes up out of that is either we're, we're integrated as a person or disintegrated as a person. We experience an integration of body, mind, and soul, this ordering, this harmony towards what's truly going to make us happy, or this, this um, dissonance, right? this brokenness, this, uh, this battle between the different parts of ourself. And then what's coming out on the surface are these behaviors, these places where we either feel free and happy, uh, healed and whole and safe, or the places where we feel stuck and damaged and unable to do what we want to do and where we're harming other people. But what's at the root are, are all of these inputs, all these things we're, that we're experiencing. Um, a lot of our approach as a, a Christian people um, follows what I would call a standard of care approach. And the standard of care approach in, in medicine means what works most often for the most people. But there's always a percent of people that, that any treatment plan doesn't work for, typically somewhere between 20 80% of the population define the standard of care, right? So when you go to the doctor and he prescribes a medication to you, um, in the, the trials that that medication went through, it could have only been 30 to 40% effective. And if that didn't have really negative side effects or consequences, uh, that medicine might have still been approved for you to use, right? So if you're part of the 60% of the population that that's not going to work for, um, well, what are you left with? Maybe there's another medicine that you could try, but you might not be a good match for that one either. Um, so there, there's always a percent of the population that the standard of care doesn't work for because it's based on averages. Similarly, I think we can approach vices in, in a standard of care mindset. And the, the struggle is then we're, there's always going to be people left behind, people that uh, they go through the, the program or they go through the book and they, they try the, the parts that are there and they don't experience healing. They still feel stuck. They're still frustrated. And then you're left wondering, well, what's wrong with me? I've experienced that. Am I just extra broken? Am I so broken that I'll, I'll never be saved? Like, what does that say about God's love for me? There can be deep confusion and hurt and struggle in that place um, where maybe you've, you've tried everything you can and, and none of it's worked for you. And, and I would probably lay bet that we've all had that experience, that we've picked up some book or some program or watched some video series that we thought was going to help. Uh, but at the end of it, it didn't take us all the way to where we wanted to be. This isn't because it doesn't work for anyone or because the ideas are bad. But for whatever reason, in this complex of, of the root causes interacting with the particular way that you're in the image of God, it, it didn't actually deal with the roots. Right? So for one person, for example, um, joining a support group might be helpful right? because it holds you accountable. And, and then you have these people in your life who really know um, deeply what's happening and you feel this support from the group. But you might have something in your history that actually makes interacting with these people really difficult or, or, or uh, easy for you to misunderstand their reactions. Right? So if, if you don't deal with that root of trauma that leads you to misunderstand human reactions, you going into that support group might actually uh, not help. It might make things worse, right? Because that, that environment isn't really a safe place for you. Uh, and it's probably maybe eventually a part of your healing journey, but you have to deal with what's at the roots of what's happening. In, in our previous episode, we talked about this, uh, this healing plan or this action plan that we can create for ourselves. And I hope this, this episode continues to shed light on that plan a little bit. 
that as you're, um, as you're scouting your life, as you're thinking about yourself, body, mind, and soul, learning all the best insights you can from science and medicine and technology and, and also all the best insights you can gain from religion and spirituality. And, and you're thinking of what are ways that I can heal, ways that I can be different, that you apply this root cause mentality that even though you, know, you do have to try harder and put up boundaries and avoid the near occasion of sin, if that's all you're doing, you're probably eventually going to fall back into whatever you struggle with. By dealing with what's on the, on the level of the roots, by looking at, um, at the environmental factors that are, are affecting that image of God, things from your history, the wounds and trauma, and healing in those wounds and trauma, uh, and then your current behaviors, right, your current lifestyle, and how all of that is leading to manifest as your behavior, right? Um, by approaching it that way, you can come to a place where um, even when you're presented with a temptation, when that person brings the box of uh, donuts into the office or that thing inevitably pops up on your computer by accidentally clicking an advertisement, or when, when your children are just freaking out or when your spouse reacts in a way that you weren't expecting, right? when these inevitable temptations in life come up, um, we can react with love. The fruit of our tree can be uh, be God's fruit and reflect what's going to truly make us happy, what's going to truly be good, what's going to uh, reflect God's goodness into the world, reflect God's love into the world. So I want to remind you as this episode comes to a close to check out our show notes. Uh, in those notes, uh, I'm giving you all the quotes that we have in the episode. I'm defining the, the key ideas and giving you links to more resources, other videos and podcasts, my own articles about these topics. Uh, you can also go to becominggift.com to get my articles on any of these topics to go deeper and find more, uh, more resources and more references on any of, these, uh, any of the things we talk about. If you want to support Physically Spiritual, consider becoming a member of the Awakened Nation. Uh, the Awakened Nation are our patrons of Awakened Catholic. So go to awakencatholic.org forward slash join. Thanks for watching this episode of Physically Spiritual. If you're watching the show on YouTube, make sure to press the like button, subscribe to the Awakened Catholic YouTube channel, and turn on the bell notifications so that you can find out when new episodes are released. Also, it's super helpful if you could leave a review for the podcast on iTunes or your podcast player. At Awakened Catholic, we're dedicated to bringing people to truth through beauty. This show and all the shows here on Awakened Catholic are only possible because of people like you. You can become a part of what makes this all possible by making a tax-deductible donation for as little as the price of a cup of coffee a week. To join the Awakened Nation, visit awakencatholic.org forward slash join.